Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also have strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing, from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and in interviewing the experts to help you in your journey to success. This episode is sponsored by Bright Pearl. Bright Pearl is a platform that helps Shopify-powered businesses like yours streamline everything that happens after a customer hits the buy button. Download Bright Pearl's free guide to automating your e-commerce orders now and discover how you could save tens of hours every single week with a few simple changes. Head to brightpearl.com forward slash life is short. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who's not tuned in before, please hit the subscribe button, leave us a little review once you've listened to this podcast. And also, my name's Nick. I host the podcast and have been running it since June last year. If you are new, feel free to join our Facebook group called Winning with Shopify. Good place to ask questions, get some support, resources, etc. And also a place where I'm starting to ask more questions and engage on there. So go and check out some of the recent activity, get involved. If you do hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcasting tool, we post every Friday morning and that's morning here in the UK. So now a lot of you guys, the majority of you are based out in the US. A lot of you guys will have it at the point in which you guys uh, get some sunshine and wake up in the morning. Today is part three of an interesting series that we've been running in partnership with Bright Pearl, talking about automating your Shopify store to then scale it. I've got a very special guest with me today, similar to the last couple of weeks, but again, every single store is different, their journey is different, and the technology they're using varies massively, and also how they use the technology. My special guest today, his name's Joe, and he's from a business called Honor, who are a Shopify store, and I'm delighted to say based here in the UK, not far from, uh, from where we are. So without further ado, Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick, and thanks for the invite. You're very, very welcome, and I'm very excited to dig into uh, a bit more about your business, about the journey you've been on, and that sort of thing. But just before we dive in, do you want to give us a little overview? Tell us about Honor and what you guys do. Oh, well, Well, Honor's been going for over 30 years. We started as a retail shop. We then went into the mail order, like catalogs. Seems like a long time ago now. And then we moved into the internet in the 90s when it was in its infancy. So we had a very, very plain shop. And from there, we've been developing very, very slowly until where we are today with lots of automations and a lot of... Um, Technology sitting in the background that's now assisting us. It's nice to hear you guys started so early as well. I think because we talk about Shopify on this, a lot of our guests are new to the world of e-commerce or new to marketing, you know, sort of three, four years ago, and they're, they're reaching success already. So it's good to hear that you guys have been running since the 90s, not only because that's when I was born, which is going to make some of our listeners feel very old, but, um, but also because I think going on that journey, you must have experienced some huge waves of going from literally punching buttons on a, on a cashier's till in the shop sort of thing, right the way through to, you know, to, to now where it's, it's all sort of done for you. Sorry, the original mail order was done on cards. 
So like you literally had everybody's name on a card that you used to have to go through and find their details and write all their information for the orders on a card before you sent them out. So it does go a few years. <laughs> Wow. I mean, that, that really is going back. I, I think um, we were doing an assessment recently on a, on a piece of technology, just using a spreadsheet. And we tried to work out how long would this have taken if we had done it manually with a pen and paper. And I mean, the guy just went white in the face and was like, are you asking me to do this? Was, no, 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 no. Just hypothetically, <laughs> what would it have taken kind of thing? So I think technology certainly, certainly brought, us, uh, brought us a long way. So when did you guys adopt digital then? When was your first website launched? I think we got the URL in 94 and we had a very, very plain page up in 96, but it was just just like a like an image more than an e-commerce store, um, just saying where the shop was, what we did. And then from there, as the internet started to grow, we started to slowly bring shops together. I think we've had about four or five platforms in the time that we've been on, online. They've all had challenges, that's for sure. And then trying to sync the technology for all of them has been very, very interesting or complicated, I should say. Wow. And I think, yeah, I mean, as you say, an image back then, I'm just shuddering to think how long that would have taken to load on a dial-up <laughs> internet connection. I, like most UK households, we had a cable that was about sort of 30 metres long and it would run from the telephone at the front door through our hallway, through the kitchen, around the corner, past one of our sort of reception rooms. And then you put it in the back of the TV and then mum screams from upstairs, who's trying to connect to the internet? <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. Whereas these days we're actually getting rid of those phone lines altogether and replacing them with the mobile broadband. Yeah, it goes further now. When the modems used to have to put a phone on top of like a speaker for the noise to go through it. So... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. Um, so going back to websites then. So the, sorry, I didn't realize we we're going to go so far down memory lane today. This is great. <laughs> sorry. Um, no, no, absolutely fine. This is, uh, no, it's, it's all good stuff. And again, I think that history is really important. So you launched the website with this image and you had people kind of just finding out where is the store, what's the phone number, you know, all the, all the kind of basics. When did it become a transactional site? You know, what platform was that on where people could click, click, click and actually put it in the car and, and, and buy it? So we went to a system called OS Commerce originally. Yeah. And we started using OS Commerce for quite a while and it worked really, really well for us. It allowed us to really kind of invest and um, kind of like push our way through the internet. And yeah, that, that's, that's where we started with OS Commerce. Once, once we got into that, then it's always developed from that point. I think the issues that we always had with this is was just trying to connect technology to technology. Back in the day, it was very, very difficult. You, everything didn't sync together, so it made it a lot harder. Um, or you needed to write scripts to connect all these things together, which always had an issue of going wrong. And that meant you needed developers all the time to assist you. And what was going on in the warehouse then? So an order came in on OS Commerce. Did the warehouse then have to, you know, was it automatically there or did they get a batch of orders every day? And how did that element of technology actually synchronize back in the day? So because we needed the data to go across our shops and our mail order, we literally used to manually put them into um, another system. Well, we still use a system called Sage and we don't use that anymore, but we still use an accountancy system. Pre that, we used to have a, a bespoke one, which used to keep names, addresses and just main details and stuff. Um, but then we went to Sage to be able to put all the um, invoices and transactional invoices through Sage. And then from there, we kind of just put everything into one place that we could manage it from. But it was very, very time consuming. Yeah, I can imagine. And I guess jumping right the way to today, then somebody goes on the website, 
and they order something and put their card details straight in. I mean, that in itself is a miracle compared to what, what was happening back in 1994 by the sounds of things. How much more streamlined is it? You know, we'll dig into this more as we go through, but how much more streamlined is it now? Like how much manual stuff do you guys have to do? How much is just purely once the customer's clicked purchase and the transaction's happened, it's away? It's completely automated now. Um, with Brightpole, we literally have the order sitting in the warehouse a second after the order's been placed. And it could be on a, on a picker's packing list that, that moment, depending whether it's been um, run as a batch at that point. And depending what the customer requests the order for the next day, then it's pulled quicker. If the customer's um, got free postage, for instance, we might prioritize the other orders before that and get to that order a little bit later. But it's instant. It's instant information to everybody within the company. Nice, nice. And I, I guess the killer question, and I know you won't be putting hours or days on this or maybe even years, but uh, how long would that process take if it was done manually? You know, if an order came in and it was just an email, or it just lived within Shopify, how long would it take for you guys to dispatch every product compared to that automated system? I think in hours and stuff, I think we're saving a huge amount of hours per week just on that part of it alone. Yeah. Um, there, there's lots of other areas that you know are now automated that now it looks kind of natural that we do it. But you know, back in the day, we would literally have to you know, do all of these points manually and then try to keep all the accounts and the referencing just in case customers ask for inquiries or they've got query on their order. It was it was a challenge. That's what that's the only way I can put it. I, I read the other day that there was a company that decided to do things manually for a single day. And to do that they had to print out, as you say, every single customer's details and put them in a giant filing cabinet or whatever and became a massive nightmare for them just to get set up for this thing, for this test. And at the end of the test, what was hilarious is that a customer called up and said, Oh guys, um, I've got a little problem with my order. And the person on the phone said, Oh, just I'll pop you on hold and I'll go and check your order quickly. I'll just go and grab the details. Oh, yeah, yeah, fine, yeah. And about five minutes later came out and said, sorry, I still haven't got to your name in the alphabet in our filing cabinet system in the archive downstairs. And the customer's reaction was absolutely – I mean, they then explained, like, you know, we're doing this test. We'll put it up on the system now and sort it out. But it was hilarious, the customer's reaction of, like, I've been on hold for five minutes now and you're telling me you haven't got my record up. And it was just – it was hilarious watching on the camera this – person like literally sprinting through filing cabinets to try and find the order reference number then opening different frantically opening different drawers the cabinet then falls over because they've opened three you know a lot of cabinets stop you opening multiple drawers the cabinet pulls forward because all the weights in the wrong place and then they and even then when they reached the customer's order it was like so what's the problem and they said oh we don't really like the color It was like, right, well, I got that changed for you and they did it all on the system but then afterwards showed and here's what the old manual system would be just absolutely hilarious. And I guess you guys have obviously got Shopify and Brightpearl. So customer calls up, needs something changed, has a question, or actually wants to order something but wants a bit of advice. Or you guys just got their account details up instantly, haven't you? And you click buttons and the change is made. It's instant. As long as the order's not actually on the picking aisle, um, and in which case they would just put, we'd put it on hold. So when it got back to the, the dispatch desk, it would be held off. You, you can talk to a customer within seconds. As long as you've got their information, as long as they've got their account number, or if they haven't, their, their, their um, postcode, whatever it may be, it's, it's within you know within seconds that we can get information, update customers' information, and it's across all boards. Sure. And I guess really big question here then, how much more difficult would the growth of the business be if you didn't have these systems coming in? I mean, I'm not, not just using the extreme example of filing cabinets versus Brightpearl, but if systems hadn't adapted over the years... How much would that have affected your growth or, you know, what point would you have reached? It would affect growth and costs because even now, you know, there's certain areas that our system doesn't plug into. 
I mean, it plugs into a lot of places, but there's certain marketplaces that it might not plug into, and we won't go on it. Because even if you only receive small orders from it, keeping on in control of those orders, you know, they can go missing. You know, one order amongst many can go missing. All you need to do is um, a customer, again, rings up. You can't find it for any reason. It hasn't been put on in a, in the right way. And then you're, you're chasing your tail to, to try to find an order or doing a refund because you've missed on it. So, but when it does plug in, it's all there. The information is there. It's instant for the customer. It's instant for us. It's instant for our sales staff. It's, it's, it just makes life a lot easier. So we do wait for um, apps to, to join before we join that process, before we'll join a, a marketplace, for instance. That's interesting. And the reason it's interesting to me and the reason I love it is because there's an absolute theme, and I've mentioned this the last few weeks as well, there's been a real theme of talking to e-commerce store owners or people that work in e-commerce businesses like yourself, where actually that is a customer-first decision. It's a, we'd rather not sell it than give a bad experience and cause, you know, regardless of your own internal problems, it causes problems for the customer. And it sounds to me like they really are first as, as far as you're concerned. Oh, absolutely. And, and customers are, are not forgiven these days. They, they want instant information, they want their product, they want the detail. They're not interested in any of your issues. They don't care. So you've got to look at it on that basis. And you've got to look at it as, as, as we're all customers. And I think Amazon has you know, set the bar so high that you have to be as good as them or try to be as good as them as you can with the limited resources we would have against someone like Amazon. But these, these um, programs, these apps, Bright Pearl, these really, really help the fight against it. Cool. That sounds good. And I think going back then to web platforms, so you've got lots of different systems running. At what point did you adopt Shopify? When was that? You know, was it on the Shopify basic? Did you guys jump onto Plus straight away? Or, you know, when and how did that, that sort of decision come around? So we have a few shops and Shopify is one of them. So Shopify, we adapted just the, uh, the normal one, just the basic one initially um, for a fashion store that we got. And, you know, with Shopify, it's fantastic in the sense that it's just, you don't need developers. So with Bright Pearl, Shopify, and the apps that are actually that you can download, it works, which is really I mean, coming back to the history that we have. Yeah, yeah. All that, all that stuff in the, in the past would have recommended we'd have had developers, we'd have had architects, we'd have had to work really hard to get a very simple system working. Now, if it's if the app exists and if it's if it's for what you want to do, it works, and something that works makes life a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a similar thing we found, for example, Google Shopping feeds, trying to get your products into Google is hard at the best of times. And then your PPC guys turn around like us and we say, oh, we'd like to optimize the feed. So we're going to need a tool to edit the feed somewhere. And when you're using a you know, Magento 2 setup or some e- OS commerce, I've just l- searched them up. It is still working. Um, they are still a, a live platform, apparently. Okay. I know, absolutely amazing. But the yeah, one of the interesting things we found is even little things that seem simple, you know, on the face of it, it's like, yeah, we should just be able to adapt and change that feed as much as we want. We know what we want to put in the feed. We know how we want the feed to work, etc. But actually getting the tech to do it on something like Magento can be an absolute nightmare. There are apps and plugins that can help you do it. And even setting up those apps and plugins to be able to edit the feed or move it into a completely separate system. And there's three or four systems we use. Even setting up those systems, you set it all up, you get running, and then you're like, hang on a minute, why did none of my products have the color attributes? And then you have to go back through the process. Is it Merchant Center? Is it this other feed um, optimization tool? Is it the actual shop itself that's not feeding that information across? And it can be a nightmare, whereas the apps we use on Shopify, you just pay you know, $10 a month or something, click the app in, and suddenly you're away. All your products are now in this new app. 
you can just click on all products and select, you know, gender. Well, we're only a women's store, women only, and just set that to every single product. And that, that part of the feed is now done. And it's all synchronized with Merchant Center. You know, you can actually, one we were using the other day, you can actually set up Merchant Center in Google completely from scratch, just using this one app, which I found amazing. So I think I'd absolutely echo that Shopify, things are built in, the developers have done the hard work, but then the developers also support those apps. If something changes or updates, the support is there. It's already updated. You don't have to do anything. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we have a Magento store as well. And, and yeah, I concur. You, you put um, uh, modules on or apps on and they can, they can conflict with each other, which means you've got, you've got more developers, more time. So it's, uh, yeah, when it works, it's, it's, when it just downloads and works, it's, it's, it's unusual. And I think Shopify and I think Brightport are really good at doing that. Sure, sure. Well, it sounds like it sounds like you guys have got a lot of automation running, which is good. And as you've said, you couldn't run the business and scale it in the same way you have without this automation. Certainly, when it comes to pack, you know picking and packing products, for example, and getting them out to the the actual customers. Let's talk about marketing for a sec. What are some of the main channels you guys use to acquire the customers in the first place? How do they find your website? So now it's mostly PPC, it's um, organic search, it's uh, social media, it's, it's near enough all the methods that we, we use. It's email marketing, it's remarketing, it's affiliate programs. We, we don't just use one method. I think the biggest out of all of them is probably PPC, but the rest are all as important as each other and all have, again, you know, challenges for each one of them, especially in the line of business that we're in. It makes it a little bit more difficult. We've got a lot more restrictions attached to us. So we have to be, you know, on top of all those areas. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. We, we're running some ads at the moment for a Shopify course we've got. And we actually got a similar message you probably get quite a lot where Google said you can't advertise on Google because of sexual references and stuff like that. And we sort of thought, what? Like we're running a Shopify course. Where on earth did that come from? I had to dig through the code of the page and just searched up sort of 10 or 15 different words. And what it was, there was an FAQ and we had this question three or four times about the course. So we put it in the FAQ section, it basically said, do you work with businesses that are, you know, that sell sex products, that sell alcohol and all these things are trigger words. So Google just basically banned us from advertising. And obviously it's quite quick to get your account unsuspended. We literally just changed about four words and I think we might have just removed that FAQ, but it, yeah, I can imagine that if we're getting that on a tiny scale because of literally three words under an FAQ that you have to click to expand to, to read, I can imagine some of the issues you guys come up against. And certainly we've, you know, we've worked a lot with alcohol brands over the years, like scotch companies and whiskey companies, that kind of thing. And, and the same with pharmaceuticals. You know, you have to jump through so many hoops and you have to prove that the pharmaceutical product is, you know, is, is actually approved by the regulator. Because if it's not, Google don't want you to sell it. And that's fair enough. But yeah, I can imagine there's quite a few restrictions around um, around those things. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We, we, there's there's a blanket stop initially on anything that we do, and then just as you said, we then have to prove every point as we go forward, which is frustrating. But we can understand why they do that. But they're doing it more and more, and it's and it's more and more of a challenge, especially social media for us. Yeah. So all of those areas, and you know, although we do a lot of alternative adult fashion products and. Most of the stuff we sell is actually clothing. So you know, the big range of products that we do are fashion clothing. But because we send it to more of an adult audience, they can't distinguish between each one of those. So, so that's our challenge. And it's a challenge we fight on a regular basis. <laughs> 
Yeah, I can imagine you've probably woken up to many emails on many different days of like, your ads are off again. And it's like, oh, why? Why this time? You know, And then you find out someone in your content team's written this word instead of that word. And it's all, it's all broken, everything. Absolutely. We have a toxic word list that you're not allowed to use. Most companies can still use them, but we can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've, I mean, we've, we've, we've come up, up against similar stuff, given that, you know, because we're a, an agency that run ads for people. We've, yeah, we've, we've seen it all over the years. It's um, no surprise to us. We do have a, uh, a phrase, and I have to be careful because we are Google partners. Google have been on here, etc. But Google are evil thieving, and then you can insert whatever word you want at the end of that sentence. <laughs> and that, that, that genuinely That's is our. <laughs> You know, as a Google partner who make all of our money, pretty much all of our income helping businesses with Google, the reason we have that catchphrase is that Google has one KPI and one KPI only, and it spends, spends, spends. So the more money you spend, the more Google are happy, but they don't really care how you spend it. And so our job is to be that kind of consultancy in the middle. You know, this is the platform, how to use it. But certainly we've had our fair share of disapproved adverts and whatnot over the years. So next question then, and this is one I have to admit, I didn't tee you up with this one, but it's relevant to marketing, but also relevant to automation. How much are you feeding data then? You mentioned social. How much are you feeding data from Shopify, from your website, from customer data? How much of that are you feeding back into advertising channels to run? I mean, you mentioned retargeting already, lookalike audiences, that sort of thing. How much of that have you automated as well in terms of campaigns that you actually click the button on same as what you said earlier we have a we have a list of products that come out and then we have feeds depending on the software that we're using to send them to different places to affiliate programs to google shopping for instance to amazon to ebay you know updates and stuff there are lots of these are all automated now brightpole for a lot of it and we use um, some modules within the software for, for a lot of it as well Nice. And I think, again, going back to the old days, Google Shopping, we used to do everything on a spreadsheet or Google Sheets, sorry, into Merchant Center for shopping. That seemed like the easiest way to do it before a lot of the platforms had caught up with the fact that the feed can and should be automated. It's essentially another another XML sitemap just for products only kind of thing. And in some ways, I do miss those days because it was quite easy to then adapt and change and improve the feed. The only downside was it's very manual. Every time a product goes out of stock or a new product comes in, you need a new export, you need to put it into the right format, you need to click the upload button, you need to address all the errors as to why it didn't upload, if it gives you any info, and then you find you've missed a single space in a title or something somewhere and it's all broken. And I think, I mean, certainly when you've got a product that's got three colors, that was always the nightmare one. Uh, when it's like, okay, it's a comma with no space, which is incorrect grammar, but that's how the system reads it. So grammar is not important on that particular column. So, uh, yeah, we've had uh, much, much, much fun over the years on that. But So I think the big one now is that the, the big platforms change their systems consistently. They've changed their attributes and their processes quite a lot. So you can have all of this working and then they'll change the way that they want the information. And if you don't change with them, your processes won't go up. And so that's that's why you kind of need a system in place to be able to, you know, if they, if they want extra information, for instance, and if you don't fill that information out, they won't accept the feed. And that's that's constant now with all big platforms. And you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier about apps that are supported. And therefore, you just need one developer to update one app between Shopify and Google Merchant Center. And it's updated for everybody using that app, which could be tens of thousands of stores. So Again, that times by how long would that take if you had one developer per store? So you've now got 10,000 jobs, not one job. And that's just one app as well. 
bearing in mind there are lots of different apps that depending on how you want to manage things you can use a different yeah, different set of apps for for different purposes etc so i think again automation is uh, is absolutely the way people need to go with things like product feeds because what it actually does it well the idea being and i don't know if this has actually happened in your business or not it's always the dream but often not the reality but the idea is it's supposed to free you up so actually you can spend your time doing actual marketing and customer management you can work on the user experience you can work on what are we going to offer what campaigns now should we run now that the feed is working how can we improve our customer service our delivery all this sort of stuff which is just good old-fashioned marketing and you know we want to compete we want to be the best for every process so is that therefore starting or has that happened more and more over the years for your business or has it been a case of just volumes going up? No, absolutely. It's, it's, we go back to, to the past of our programs. We were developers. We had more developers working for us or, you know, um, on contract for us to assist us to make things work until now we don't, we don't try to get involved in that whatsoever. And I think one of the things that one of the, you know, two softwares or a few softwares that we bought recently, Brightcore being one of them, have just helped us not be developers. It's not our skill bases. Our skill base should be redesigning products and promoting them and marketing them. But when you find yourself in development all the time, you're not concentrating on the main focus, which is your customers and where you need to be going with your customers, which is a challenge on its own without all these other points that can, can come into place. Yeah, it's amazing actually just to hear you say that you used to be developers. And I guess now you are becoming customer-first marketeers. Well, I guess there's not really a word for it yet, is there? It's just complete customer experience, isn't it? It's that end-to-end journey from the advert or the SEO listing or whatever it is, or the referral that they see or hear, right the way then through to, I've now bought my 20th, 50th product from you, and I'm happy. And I think, yeah, it's saying you used to be developers is exactly what I remember when I, 15 years ago, when I got into the industry and, and most people I were talking to were, you know, marketing manager was the job title, yet they spent most of their time in code. Unfortunately, that hasn't changed for some of our clients and admittedly, none of them are on Shopify. It's always the non-Shopify clients that the marketing manager is having to learn a bit of JavaScript or a bit of PHP to get OrderWise and Magento 2 to talk to each other. You know, we've got a a brand new website for a client, an M2 store that's been just sitting there for nearly six months because we're waiting for OrderWise to catch up with the way they want to integrate. And they've paid OrderWise five grand to have this integration done, but they're waiting for their developers to get around to it because it has to be done store by store. And it's like, there've been moments of like, why are we still doing this these days? And there, there has been a conversation last week with that particular client of, could we just take the same design, chuck it on Shopify and pull in the OrderWise app? <laughs> and it's done, you know, we're away. And so that may happen. And I think the whole uh, conversation at the moment is just how much money are we losing per day on the old site versus what we think we'll see on the new site? And what, you know, how many more days of waiting is that, that amount going to break even at? Because if we think it's going to be two or three months, it's probably going to be more cost effective to just build a whole new store and just ditch you know, two years basically of development on the M2 store um, in favor of Shopify, which wrong decision in the in the first place well we have it in the, in the same basis before if we wanted to deal with like a, a shipping company dpd Royal mail dhl whatever it might be when we had the old system we would have to talk directly to those companies to be able to get a script from them which used to take a very very long time to do now with the automations that we have you have you have some like ship station where if they've got a tax company we just put in the account number and literally it works and that, 
that for us was like a eureka moment. It was like all of a sudden we were, you know, we could go to different shipping companies and get different prices if we knew they were on their list to be able to use. And once again, that brings us back to, you know, being able to market and being able to give the customers what they want. You know, we can now offer more options for shipping because, you know, some customers don't want to pay, but some customers will want it on a Sunday or Saturday or, or in an evening. And now being able to go to some like ship station, go to the, uh, we can do, obviously we do the deal with the courier. But once we've got the deal with the courier, we just got to put the numbers in and it works. And that is, that's, that makes a big difference for us. Yeah. And I, I guess it's the same thing. All those, you know, all those human hours you would have spent doing it the other way versus it just working now and also that means you you don't need to worry about it someone like royal mail would have been months months trying to get them to you know like because you, you had to have the print correctly and you'd have to get that print absolutely correct and then it had to get verified by royal mail you could wait two weeks for a response for them to get back to you even if you're talking directly to the developers so not having that as a, as a worry anymore as a concern when, when we're moving forward it just makes life a little bit easier Sure, sure. And I guess with, with all this automation going on, you know, moving on to sort of la- last set of questions, I guess, really is what does the future hold? Like, you know, what, what are some of the current projects you're working on at the moment without giving too much away, of course? Where is the business going? Like, are, you, are there other things you're trying to automate at the moment? Are there particular projects you want to roll out? Is it now actually you've got it to a point where it's all kind of working and we're now focusing on customer growth and giving customers the best product, best experience, et cetera? So we, we're doing a, a, re, a bit of restructuring work because we've had lots of challenges over the last couple of years with Brexit and um, COVID. Sure. Um, but one of the things that we, we, we've been looking at is being able to use um, free PLs, being able to use other warehouse in, in other areas. So hopefully the US and Europe, you know, being able to use those. And something that Bright Pearl, which we've been discussing with them, can do is that they can plug their system directly into a distribution center, which allows us to possibly make our next moves into the US or, you know, if there's still issues around Brexit, then we could have a, a small warehouse in Europe. And we're looking forward to maybe something in that area, being able to put out products in the locations or closer to the people, especially in the US. So that's that's where we're looking for automation. We need it to be automated. We need to be in control of the stock because we do a, a lot of items. And once again, it comes back to somebody calling up and saying, where's my order? It doesn't matter where they are in the world. We need to know where it is, why it's not got to them, why it has got to them, if there's an issue, or like you were saying earlier, do they want to change a color halfway through an order? So you need to be have all that information at hand. Otherwise, it's very, very difficult to do that. Sure. And obviously, it's just going to cost you so much in, in people's time, in actual human time, to fix any of these things. As soon as a customer calls up or the reason they call up, the reason they email is they can't seem to do what they need to online. They then phone out and then somebody's got to respond to that. There's even there's even actually laws outlining that you have to respond to that. And so I think I think you're absolutely right. You've got to get that tech stack ready first. And one of the biggest things, and I can't remember if I've mentioned this at all in the podcast or not, which will be relevant listening to any of our UK and European customers and interesting listening to any US ones, is the changes that have happened with VAT across Europe. Given that the UK is no longer in the EU, we all have to sign up to MOSS, which is a, well, I mean, MOSS is one way of doing it. MOSS basically registers you for VAT in every single country in Europe, and then you have to start charging it at their local rates, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, even just explaining that is complicated. And it then comes down to a set of, uh, a set of criteria. So we at Parker, which, you know, which is uh, one of my businesses, we've had to work out, do we charge any individuals in the EU for automatically generated PDFs? <laughs> that, 
that's literally what it's come down to. And the conclusion was, we do, but it's tied up in a bigger fee. So if ever one person orders that PDF, we then in our accounts need to log. And I'll be honest with you, it's probably like three or four times a year. And it's probably like 50 cents per time in VAT. But we have to register in the local countries of those three people to pay the VAT to them on those automated PDFs. And when, yeah, when we looked at it, it was going to cost us about £5,000 a year just to do all the paperwork, all the registrations, accountancy fees, whatever, for these three little, you know, 30 cents here, 30 cents there and 30 cents there, which just absolutely, absolute madness when you look at it. How much of that sort of things affected your business and obviously all the technology you're looking at for internationalization at the moment? So yes, uh, this is the same thing, the paperwork and paper trail has, has got a lot more. The, the, in January, things were being held up for, for months going to customers. And it was there was no rhyme or reason for something being held up. But we have something now, and, and the process now is that we pay the VAT this side, and we don't have to um, claim it within the UK. Um, so we just um, put it as an EU sale. We try to make it really easy for the customers in Europe. So if, if the price says 20 euros, then it's 20 euros. It doesn't change. Yeah, um, sure. We lose, we lose a small percentage in it. But it's, it's not worth trying to you know, get a, a customer who's got to go to their local clearing agent to pay their VAT. They're just not going to buy from us. So we have a, I can't remember what it's called. It's, there's, there's two variables where you can pay the VAT, this side of it, and then we get a bill from the courier company or we put it onto our, our duty account. So, so we pay it all this side, but we don't have to pay the VAT for the UK. So we pay the, UK, the VAT for Europe, whichever that might be. 19% in Germany, 21% in the Netherlands. And we'd pay that this side and then not pay the VAT on the amount going out to Europe from, from this area. So it, it works out at the moment. Things are getting a little bit better. Systems and the couriers are getting better at it. And hopefully it will get a little bit slicker, but it's, I think everybody has to deal with it. It's, it's, it's here to stay and, you know, we have to work around it. You make it sound so simple. I mean, <laughs> I appreciate it's not under the hood, having looked at it myself, but certainly with physical products, as you say, the courier, and I'm not going to give any advice on this specifically because I'm not a financial advisor or whatever, or a lawyer, but the, you know, it, it sounds from when I, when I looked at it, or it sounds like with physical goods, it is slightly easier because you've got the courier, whereas with digital services, there's literally a page on the UK government's website regarding EU services, and that's where it gets quite complicated, which fortunately we don't need to talk about that today because everybody listening in is running Shopify stores and working in e-commerce. But although that said, just a quick thought, actually some people might need to look at it where they offer a product and a service. So some of our clients have personal shopper services that you can buy on the website and then you have in store. Fortunately, you're probably buying it in the same country that you're also going to uh, going to go to the store. It'd be very odd if you were, I guess, unless you booked a shopping trip to London one afternoon. But yeah, it, there are some services. So it's certainly something people need to be aware of. I think my only big frustration, I've made no secret about this, and my local uh, member of parliament um, in the UK government knows about this. It was just the fact it was also rushed. You know, on the 28th, 29th of December, between Christmas and New Year's, when I was supposed to be having a break, I was sitting up late one night on the VAT pages trying to work out what was going to change. The government didn't actually release all of the details on this until early into January after they'd come into effect. And then they updated them again mid-Feb. And we had just about got all our ducks in order for this sort of 30 cents times three a year. <laughs> we just about worked out what to do with it. 
And then mid-Feb, they updated it again, which affected us. And it was kind of a, because, you know, because the negotiations are still going on. So I think, yeah, I'll bring us back from the tangent on, on the EU and Brexit. Just, just to say to everybody, just make sure you're aware of this kind of stuff. I think whenever you're trading over borders, you know, this isn't the only thing. There's going to be lots of different things that do come up. But it's great to hear that you guys are doing that. It obviously sounds like a quite a big expansion and quite an interesting exercise. And I guess on the Shopify and Bright Pearls, one system, but Shopify side and Magento side, I assume you guys are going to sort of copy and paste the store and get the stores to work together. So it's one product, one description, but multiple locations. Yes. I mean, we do have a, a French and a German site and we've seen you know some difficulties with, with Europe at this present time. I think mainly around COVID, Brexit. I think once things settle, then, then we're looking to bring it all into one big shot. So it's, it's a lot easier to maintain. So I think where you have too many things going on, and which we, as, a, as a company, that's one of our challenges at the moment, bring it all back in, make it a little bit more simpler, utilize the, the technologies that we have. And yeah, just, just on those basis, we're just looking to go forward on that kind of direction. Because we've got a lot of legacy, sometimes we've got stuff sitting in the background and now that we've got technology we want to bring it all into one place and it, and it, and it's it feels a lot easier to go down that direction with the technologies that we have in place now where before you know it was a part of the norm having all these separate entities working now it makes more sense to bring them together in saying that brightpole do attach all those entities together but we as a company want to move that into just one or two areas Nice. It sounds like a great plan for, for expansion, I think. And just thinking, what would the alternative be pre-Digital Aid, pre-Shopify, pre-Brightpearl, etc.? I mean, you'd be out opening stores all over the world. I can't imagine how many millions that would cost to do. And we've got quite a few clients who have, for example, one based in Ireland, and they've launched a couple of stores in, in Scotland. And the stores themselves have been a success. They've opened, people love them, the locals love it, but they don't have that UK brand awareness. So actually going from just being in Ireland to being across England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, which is a much bigger territory than just Ireland, they don't have the funding capacity to do it, you know, in one big push and open lots of stores. Probably more strategic to do it one by one, but it's, it's certainly been a challenge for them that e-commerce in the UK has been essentially non-existent. Because nobody knows who they are, yet when you land on the site in Ireland, you know the brand straight away. You land in the UK, who the heck is this? And there's not a lot of information about them on the website because the user journey in Ireland doesn't need any of that. In Ireland, it's just, I need this, I need this, I need this, product-wise. And you just buy the product. So yeah, certainly a much easier expansion just to create a new instance of Shopify or add multi, uh, multi-territory options within a single store and same on Brightpile as opposed to actually trying to open physical stores and register companies in lots of countries. And then you need an accountant for each of those. And, you know, all the costs just start racking up pretty quickly. Yes. Yes. And I think, I think you still got to look at all the local clinics called, you know, like having a local store in Germany, you've got to, you've got to try to get the, you know, all the language correct, the branding correct. And that, that takes a lot of effort and work. And that's, that's what, again, what we need to work on because we launched in Germany with a, a UK kind of like forward facing store, but it don't always work. As you said before, you need to be able to attract a German customer to your store and that branding and that marketing to that store. So that, again, they're the challenges that we've got to go forward with. I think we understand the mistakes that we've made and, you know, maybe the, the things we need to do in the future to um, fix those mistakes. It's a very interesting point, and actually, and p- possibly the last point we'll touch on now, I think, because this can't really be automated, and that's localization. So you can change the currency, that bit's automated, but language, 
we we've certainly found over the years that german in germany french in france is much much better than english in germany english in france etc i think brexit's only strengthened that that approach as well so you guys i assume you have translators or localizers as we like to call them localizing content changing it into the right languages but also not just translating english to german writing it in good german yes that's that's what we've got so we do we do some of it and some of it depending on the products that we're selling we've got to do more of it it's 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 got to be right that they're, they're more specific especially in germany it's, it's got to be correct and i think as a company we, we're looking to improve on that that's that's a, a big challenge for the future for us especially because germany is quite a big marketplace for us and we see really big potential but we've got to get it right so we're getting going back to the technologies again make sure the technologies are working make sure the distribution's working and then localize the sites as, as close as possible as we can get it and then doing the marketing the social media and all the other things that you need to do to make it work it's interesting actually that you're focusing on the technology the user experience etc and then you do the marketing bit afterwards because I think a lot of brands focus on it the other way around. They sort of go, "Oh, we could sell some products in Germany. Oh, we've made a little site. The German site's ready to go." And then they have this catastrophe of, "Oh no, what a terrible thing! Somebody's actually bought a product. Now we've got to get it there." And and then they hit the VAT issues. Like you guys are approaching it absolutely right, almost kind of back to front. Let's get all the back end systems and the post sale stuff ready, and then we'll work our way forward, and then we'll turn on the front bit when it's ready. And then when we turn the front bit on, the whole process and user experience will be nice and seamless to uh, to the customer. Yes, I think that's because we've made a couple of mistakes and I think we've learned from those mistakes um, and we're, we're trying to fix those mistakes as, as we go forward. I think you get many chances, but I think you get one good chance to make an impression. Um, and that's, I think, really important. Is If you get that right, even if it's a smaller site, you can then grow on it. Where if you go out really big and it's not right, then I think, so, so we want to bring it back, make sure it goes out right and make sure it continues to move in the right direction, even if that's a slower process. Cool. Cool. That sounds good. And just before we say goodbye, you know, it's been great to have you on the show today. How can people get in contact with you? What's, a, what's the way they can reach out? Where's the websites, etc.? So our website's www.honor.co.uk. We have a shop in Waterloo, which has been there for over 30 years, which has just opened over a week ago due to COVID. So if anybody's in London, they can go down to our shop and see our products. But mainly the, the site, if you're, you're anywhere else in the world, then, then look at our site. Cool, cool. And just to say that's honour spelled O-U, so English way, not, uh, English way. <laughs> not, not, not yeah. what you guys over the pond stole and, and adapted from us. We have a on the American version as well, so you will still find us. Cool, cool, nice. Um, well, look, Joe, it's been great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for your time and, and for joining in. Excellent. Thank you. Cool. And as always, we'll be back next Friday. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the last one in this series, unless we chuck any last minute ones in. So stay tuned next week. Apart from that, we're going to be launching another series next week onwards, focusing on the business side of running an e-commerce store. So we're going to be talking a little bit about HR, about finance, about how to really grow the business and some of the things you're going to need in the background to get you started. So we've got a mix of investors, Shopify stores that have been there and done it. And also we're looking to get HR and finance people in as well to give you guys all of the tools you need to make your business a success. So if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and we'll see you again next week. Sign up for free for the Shopify approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.